So I grew up in a smallish town in Kentucky called Winchester. And right across the street from my house was a, a city park of sorts where my friends and I played baseball and tennis in the summer and uh, went sledding in the winter. And one day, I was about 10 years old, and I was walking there, probably on my way to a friend's house. And it was late afternoon, I think, and I remember the wind was blowing. And I was approaching this large, thick-trunked tree that I had passed by a, a thousand times. And on that very ordinary day, something happened. The light all of a sudden changed. Uh, the, the, the air actually felt different to me. The wind through the branches of this tree seemed almost uh, alive. And I, inside, my chest felt so full of, of joy or love or something. And I knew that everything, everything was okay. And after a few minutes, that went away and the world went back to normal. And, you know, these days I would say that I had a religious experience, maybe something like Moses coming up on the burning bush. Not that I am Moses by any means. <laughs> Let's be straight. But I had these, we have these moments where we come upon something and, and sense that we're on holy ground, right? Now, when I was in seminary, I learned about a philosopher named Henry, uh, William James. And he, he did a lot of studies about people having religious experiences. And he, he described it this way, that people who had these, when they had them, they were having an encounter with the more, M-O-R-E, just the more. And I always liked that. Left enough room for mystery, but also confirmed that there was something more. But, you know, back then I didn't know who William James was. I, I don't think I knew who Moses was. And so I just filed it away in my 10-year-old brain as something that sometimes happened in the world. I think a lot of you know I didn't grow up going to church regularly. And so I I missed out on a lot of religious formation that, you know, given what I do, would have been helpful. Um, but it also gave me less unhealthy religion to unlearn, if that makes sense. And it allowed experiences like that day in the park to just be what they were, without any layer of teaching or dogma saying what it was supposed to mean. And I've always been grateful for that. Now, other than occasional encounters with holy trees, I had a pretty normal childhood. I am an only child. I have two wonderful, imperfect parents who loved me and trusted me, who worked very hard, and who I could tell sometimes uh, money was tight. But I always felt like we had everything that I needed and seldom felt like I had everything that I wanted, which is just about right if you ask me. I was a sensitive kid, um, shy, but with a kind of, I think, a quiet confidence, if that makes sense. And I always felt really protective of the kids who got picked on or were left out. It felt it deeply. 
And there was this one boy that I especially remember. His name was Richard. And I think things at home weren't so great for Richard. And he, you know, he was kind of into martial arts, so he would bring nunchucks, if you know what those are, or these Chinese throwing stars to school, which of course would get you expelled these days, but back then it only guaranteed that you would be teased relentlessly. And Richard often sat in front of me in our alphabetized classrooms, and so um, we got to know each other, and I was one of the few people, I think, that was, that was kind to him. And I even invited him over to our house a few times, and I would notice sometimes the, the red lines on his arms, fresh lines of where he had been cutting himself. And, you know, I remember when he wrote in my yearbook my senior year that our friendship had helped him survive high school. I think it had. So keep that in mind. I, I then went on to college um, at Transylvania University in Lexington, Kentucky, and I studied business mostly because the classes came pretty easily to me and I had no idea what else I wanted to do, so um, it worked okay. turned out to be pretty good, actually, to have a business degree in a church. And I remember one day in my freshman year, I am walking down the sidewalk at my new school and feeling very lonely. And I actually said out loud, I feel like there's just no one I can trust right now. My parents had just moved to Georgia, by the way, so I felt very alone. And I heard three knocks. And I look over, and I'm at an intersection, city intersection, and one of those big boxes that I assume works the traffic lights. One of you can tell me differently. And that's where the sound came from. I look over at it, and someone's drawn a big circle on the box, and in the circle they've written, and remember I just said I feel like I have no one I can trust. Someone has written, trust Jesus. And I, <laughs> I look at that, and I blink, and I think about the coincidence of the timing, and then I go on my day, and I forget all about it. And I could think now, you know, God must have been wondering, what is it going to take to get this guy's attention? Uh, you know, most of college, I was really more interested in Buddhism than Christianity, uh, if I'm honest. I was fascinated with, like, the New Age bookstore downtown. I love to go to that with the smell of incense and the esoteric uh, religious books and everybody in Birkenstocks. And Christians, they seemed so, you know, white socks and Reeboks compared to that, you know. And when I graduated, I moved down to Georgia for the free rent with my parents. I mean, to be closer to them. And, <laughs> and I took a job with a large lighting manufacturer in a management trainee position. And I hated every day of it. After six months, I left my bright future in lighting and took off across the country with a friend that I had made who happened to be a Baptist minister. And after a few months of traveling around, we ended up landing in Vail, Colorado, and he took a job at a church there as an associate pastor. And I started working at the First Bank in downtown Vail, if you've ever been there, as a teller. And it seemed rude not to go to church at my friend's new 
job, so I started going to this Baptist church. And I got involved with the young adults group. And I liked arguing with them about their conservative religious views. And, but they would often quote scripture to me, you know. And I, had no, I didn't have a response to that. So I had to start reading the Bible. And for the first time, I started reading the gospel stories about Jesus. And I think I expected to find the same kind of self-righteous undertones there that I often heard at this Baptist church. But instead, I read about a man who actually criticized the Pharisees for that very thing. Someone who stood up for the people who get left out. Someone who felt protective of the kids who get picked on. You know, Jesus wasn't at all what I expected to find there. There was a tenderness about him. He trusted the softness of love to overcome the hardness of the violence in our world, which was something I so wanted to believe, but the world didn't seem to be working that way from what I had seen. Blessed are the poor, he said, and the meek. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. I thought, who is this guy? He is clearly not living in the world I'm living in. Or was he? Because I thought his crucified arms didn't look so different from my friend Richard's arms. And maybe this man actually understood human suffering and the pain of this world at a whole level that I don't even get. All I knew was that something about this wounded God-man spoke to something really deep inside of me. And like the disciples in our text this morning. It was his vulnerability, his, his tenderness, his wounds. That's how I recognized Jesus. So I kept reading about him and arguing about him and thinking about him. And then there was one day, I was up in Eastvale on a hike by myself and it was late fall, and the aspen were just glorious. And it was one of those days where it was, the sun was shining, but it was also snowing, little ice crystals. And so they would, they would sparkle in the sunlight. And I had with me a little New, New Testament, a little pocket New Testament. I had been reading that on my hike, the Gospel of John, I think, the opening. And I remember feeling really emotional stirred up about who Jesus was, maybe at some level who I was. And then the air and the light changed again, kind of like when I was 10. And this time I felt Jesus standing beside me. I don't really know how to explain it, but I, it's what I felt. And I remember I started crying. And then I, I went home 
after the hike, and I remember I pulled out my journal and I just wrote one line. Today I became a Christian. I was about 25. And a few months later, I was baptized in a church up in Edwards, Colorado, full immersion like good Baptists. Surrounded by a community of faith that I disagreed with on just about every theological point except one. We all loved Jesus. So a year later, I moved to Denver and began my Master of Divinity degree at the Isle of School of Theology. I didn't want to be a minister, but I had fallen in love with theology and thinking about God, and I thought I'll go on and do my doctorate, and I'll teach somewhere. So I graduated in 1998. I married my wife, Laura, a week later, and not yet ready to start my doctorate, I started working with people with developmental disabilities. I'm sure tapping into that same protective sense for people who get picked on and left out. And suddenly three years had gone by and we had our daughter Anna and going back for that doctorate seemed like a fading dream. I was now focused more on how expensive diaper were, diapers were and I was going to need a job that paid better. So I tease that I'm the only person who ever went into ministry for the money. But against my better judgment, I started thinking about the one thing I was trained to do, be a pastor. There's a whole story about coming home and telling my wife that because she had married me on condition that I would not become a pastor. And she started crying and but I realized it was tears of really joy or something because she, she said, you're supposed to try this. She knew. There was an opening at Montview here for an interim, and so I applied. And I don't think I've ever told you all this story, but one day between the interview and hearing back from the search committee, I had dropped off a friend at, a, at the airport for a... For a red-eye flight, so it was late, and I decided I'd drive home by way of this church that I'd only been in once now for this interview, and I s drove and sat out in my car out there on Dahlia Street looking up at this, you know, amazing church, and it was really late at night, and I felt this sudden sense of complete clarity. I actually said out loud, oh, I'm supposed to be here. And I couldn't tell for how long, you know, but I, something had let me know that I was going to be here. So when the search committee called and offered the position, I, I tried my best to sound surprised. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, that was 19 years ago. And through these years, it has been a joy and a privilege to get paid to think about and to preach about and to try to better understand what this more really is. I mean, it's a funny way to spend your life, really, if you think about it. Especially trying to convince people that there's an, an invisible spirit 
permeating the world, who loves you without condition. And his son, who died 2,000 years ago, is actually alive and wants to free you from whatever imprisons you. That's what I believe. But some days it does sound pretty crazy to me. And I have my moments when God seems like a dream and Jesus seems like a lunatic and my faith feels thin, like I imagine it does for you sometimes. Or times when the world just seems so mean and lonely that I I really do wonder, is God really, really there? And that's the times when I go back to those moments. When I felt something more. Big life-changing moments and also smaller moments, just looking up at the stars or the ocean or my backyard. Those experiences, those are, those are my breadcrumbs, my stones, my peanut M&Ms. Those are the things that I go back to because they remind me that there really is something going on. And even if I don't get to feel it all the time, and even if I don't get to see behind the curtain what's happening, it's enough most of the time to just know there is something behind the curtain, to have had a glimpse of it now and then, to have had these moments where the air feels different and joy floods my heart. And just for a moment, I am overwhelmed by the certainty that everything is okay. Everything is okay. Thanks be to God.